We'll be looking at Psalm 35, the first half of it, uh, this evening. Uh, we finished the book of, of Romans, and uh, we're going to spend some time uh, when I teach on Wednesdays in Psalms. Um, I don't know how long it will be, but for a period of time we will be in the Psalms. And the way I like to do Psalms is, Psalms is divided into five different books. And I like to take the next Psalm in book one that I have not taught before and teach that. And then the next time I like to take the next Psalm in book two uh, that I have not taught before and teach that and go all the way through. One Psalm from each of the five books. Generally the five books were um, written at like five different points in Israel's history. So as we go from psalm to psalm this way, going between book to book, we're kind of getting an overview of the psalms that were written throughout Israel's uh, history. Well, the book of Psalms is very unique. Most of the words in the book of Psalms are words addressed to God which makes it very different from other books of the Bible. Like we read narratives, a historical record of events that occurred, of which God is the hero, the center. Uh, we read prophets, which are largely God's words to man, that God spoke through the prophet. Well, the book of Psalms is different. Um, it is just as inspired by the Holy Spirit, and what the Holy Spirit inspired are words directed to God. The book of Psalms was Israel's inspired hymnal. It's the largest book in the Bible. Uh, it teaches us more about God's nature than any other book. Uh, it is quoted by the New Testament more than any other Old Testament book. Um, what, what I read today said 100 12 out of the 360 Old Testament quotations and allusions come from the book of Psalms. Uh, the book of Psalms contains more messianic prophecies than any other Old Testament book other than possibly the prophet Isaiah. The book of Psalms contains practically every human emotion. Um, you see with the different Psalms, uh, them often starting at a different point. The psalmist is in a specific situation. Um, he has a specific, a certain emotion, and he expresses that in the psalm. And as he goes to the Lord, uh, oftentimes in a difficult situation, throughout the psalm, the Lord is directing him to himself and is deepening his faith and hope in the Lord. Practically every human emotion is here, from great joy uh, to great despair and everywhere in between. And the book of Psalms teaches us how to speak to God corporately and individually. Uh, you have Psalms that very much reflect the, that psalmist's specific situation. Uh, it's very personal from that psalmist to the Lord, yet inspired for our benefit. And others speak uh, in the, the plural uh, are worded in such a way that God's people are word, are speaking these words all together uh, in praise to the Lord. And as I said, this is Israel's inspired hymnal, so it is meant uh, both for personal praise, personal worship, personal devotion, as well as corporate praise, corporate worship. There are various kinds of, of psalms. There are psalms of praise. There are psalms of confession. Uh, there are psalms of lament. There are wisdom psalms that give instruction. Uh, the psalm that we're looking at uh, this evening is a psalm of lament. And there are many psalms of lament where the psalmist is going through a difficult situation. And he speaks about the difficulty uh, in the psalm. Speak, going to the Lord with the difficulty. I'm going to read to us the first half of Psalm 35. Uh, which is going to be verses 1 through 18. Uh, please stand in honor of the word of God if you are able. Of David, contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of, sh of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. 
Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net from me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it. And let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it to his destruction. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you? Delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him. The poor and needy from him who robs him. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. But at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me. Wretches whom I did not know tore at me without ceasing. Like profane markers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. I will thank you in the great congregation. In the mighty throng, I will praise you. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. I put a question in the bulletin for us to discuss that asks, uh, read through the whole psalm. Uh, What can we learn from the psalm itself about the situation or situations that occasioned the writing of this psalm? Uh, What have you seen in this psalm uh, that uh, tells us about the situation uh, that the psalmist was in uh, when he wrote this psalm? Mom? So there are people who are trying to, to kill him. It's part of the, the occasion. What else did you see? Enoch. He had done good. David David had done good to these individuals that now have become his enemies. Anything else? Dad? Uh, His enemies lied against him. Verse 11. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. So the enemies lied about him. Debbie? Right. To deserve this right. treatment from him. Yeah. And he actually says that, that they are, are have become his enemies without cause. That, that he has done nothing wrong to them. Um, and, but they are treating him so terribly in spite of the fact that he's done nothing wrong to them. Anyone else? Anything else you, you find about the occasion? All right. How does the psalmist handle his situation differently than the world handles such situations? Come on. He relies upon the Lord to help him rather than taking matters in his own hands and revenge against the people. Yes. Yeah, ask the Lord 
to rescue him. Titus. He prayed to God and he, and he praised the Lord. He said he, he praised the Lord and praises him. He prayed to the Lord and he praised. Right. Esther. You know? Anyone else? The psalmist's response is very different uh, from the way that the, the many different ways that the world responds to situations like this. And as we go through this, uh, that will become clearer and clearer uh, to us. I've asked you those, those questions. I hope that you had thought through this before you even got here, uh, putting this this uh, chapter, this psalm, into your, your minds. Um, we now have been thinking about it um, as a whole. Let's dig into it uh, more more deeply. Uh, there are two sections in our text tonight, and then we'll see the third section of the psalm in our next study. In the first section, uh, we have prayer for the destruction of the psalmist's enemies. Um, notice, first of all, the inscription at the top who wrote this. It says, of David, which means that David is the human author. Now, God is the divine author. This is God's word. Uh, but it has come to us through uh, the pen of uh, David. Now, it's important to know that the Lord had anointed David to be king of Israel. Well, let's go back and take a look at that in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Samuel had been judging Israel. Uh, God had been speaking to Israel through Samuel. And in chapter 16, uh, verse 1, we read, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? Saul was the king who preceded David. When we get here to chapter 16, Saul is still king. He, He was the first king of Israel, and Saul was the kind of man that the nation of Israel, the the people, wanted as a king. They wanted a king that would be like the kings that all the other nations had. Uh, Someone who was was physically strong, tall, um, had an impressive physical appearance, uh, a natural-born leader, someone who could lead them in battle and give them victory against their enemies. Saul gave them the kind of king that they were asking for. Saul was not a man after God's own heart. And very early on in his kingship, he blatantly disobeyed the instructions that God had given to him. And so the, the Lord rejected Saul as king. Now he's still king, but the Lord has already rejected him as king. Um, and is calling Samuel to anoint the man who will be the next king, who will replace Saul. 16 verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And then go down to verse 11. You know, when Samuel sees uh, Jesse's older sons, he assumes that they must be the one whom the Lord has, has chosen. But one by one, the Lord says, no, I've not chosen that one. I've not chosen that one. I've not chosen that one. And you get to verse 11. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? Because the Lord has made clear he's not chosen any of the sons of Jesse who are present. Are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. 
But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him. For we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. The Holy Spirit had anointed Saul uh, for the, the task of serving as the king of Israel. The Spirit had come upon Saul to empower him uh, for that responsibility. Uh, but with the Lord rejecting uh, Saul as king, this, the Spirit departs from Saul, and we see in verse 13 that the Spirit rushes upon David. The Spirit comes upon David to empower him for his future ministry as the king of Israel. And from this point forward, you start seeing the Lord give David all kinds of success. He's going to have success in battle. And uh, that's going to be noticed by the people. That's because the Spirit of God has come upon David to empower him for this role that he will have as king. Uh, now, for the rest of David's life, following being anointed uh, to be the future king of Israel, for the rest of David's life, various people will seek to destroy him. What do we learn from First and Second Samuel and First Chronicles about how David responded to those who sought to destroy him? Andre? Well, there's a, a number of ways. When it came to uh, people that he had relationships with and they turned against him, uh, he kind of had um, a lot of mercy from yes. God in his heart for them. Uh, opposed to when he's at war and he's slaying people. Um, but it's a difference. If it's on a personal level, he's not taking vengeance. He's not like trying to avenge himself. Uh, but if it's on a war level, then it's more of a governmental kind of soldier, like fighting, then he will go into war. Yeah. And what is an example of David showing that mercy to what we would call a more personal enemy? Daniel. Yeah. Saul. Right. Refused to do that. Yeah. Daniel, is that what you're saying? King Saul becomes jealous of David. And he's on multiple occasions he seeks to take David's life. And David refuses, even though he had David has opportunities to take Saul's life in order to protect his own. He refuses to take Saul's life. And what is the reason he gives why he will not kill Saul? Debbie? That Saul was the Lord's anointed. The Lord had anointed him as king of, of Israel. Uh, so David was not going to take his, his, his life. Um, any other examples? Debbie? Absalom. David's own son, after David has been on the throne for a period of time, his own son Absalom will rebel against him and try to take the throne for himself. That Absalom will actually drive David um, out of Jerusalem and David will insist to his warriors that they not take Absalom's life. David had every reason to take Absalom's life. He, he, he was a rebel against the kingdom. But David said, don't take his life. And there's Shimei. Shimei, as Saul, or sorry, as David is leaving Jerusalem and Absalom is coming in, Shimei is cursing David, is throwing stones at David, and David's men want to chop off his head. And David does not allow them to do that. He says, this is what the Lord has ordained. Um, and he refused uh, to have Shimei's life taken. 
Now, as Andre said, when enemies arose against the nation, David would lead the army in battle. He was a mighty warrior, um, using the strength of the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and he would lead Israel in fighting uh, their enemies. Um, think about the first time that he does that with Goliath. One-on-one with Goliath. Um, and Goliath had been mocking the God of Israel, uh, was the, the Philistines' champion who was leading their army um, against the army of the Israelites. And, and David did not hesitate uh, to, um, to, to, uh, to sling that, that rock at him and then to chop off his head. So David did lead Israel in battles, but he refused to kill his personal enemies, even when he had opportunities to do so. Now, this background is important for understanding the Psalms where David speaks about his enemies, such as this psalm. It's important to understand that he was the Lord's anointed, what the Lord had anointed him for, the position that God would give him as king over Israel, and the great mercy that he had shown to his his personal enemies. Uh, Let's uh, take a close look at this first section, this prayer for the destruction of the psalmist's enemies. Uh, Look in our text, Psalm 35 at verse 1. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. That word contend is a term that comes from the law court. David here is asking the Lord to defend him against those who make false accusations against him. We see later on in the psalm, in verse 11, in verses 19 through 21, that his enemies were making false accusations against him. In the very beginning of the psalm, David calls upon the Lord, asking him to defend him against those who are making false accusations. He's asking the Lord to be his advocate. Verse 2, Take hold of shield and buckler, and rise for my help. David asked the Lord to take hold of shield and buckler, terms for two different kinds of shields that were used in that day. Uh, One shield was a small shield that you could move quickly um, to extinguish uh, flaming arrows that were coming at you or to defend against a a blow from a sword. And then the other kind of a shield was a a, a large shield that, that your whole body could be protected behind. He prays to the Lord, take, sh- take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw near, I'm sorry, draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. David is asking the Lord to deliver him from his enemies who are trying to destroy him. He goes on, say to my soul, I am your salvation. He asked the Lord, To say to my soul, I am your salvation. We oftentimes need to be reassured that the Lord is our salvation. We need to be reassured that the Lord is with us. He's with us as our Savior. He's with us as our Deliverer. David asked the Lord to reassure him. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Verse 4. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Uh, here in verse 2, we have the first two out of five imprecations in this section. An imprecation is a curse. It's asking God to, to judge. Here, to judge David's enemies. To judge the wicked. He says, let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Now, under the new covenant, uh, we are called to bless our enemies. In Romans 12, verse 14, we're instructed, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. However, an attack against David was an attack against the ruler whom God had appointed for his chosen nation. 
Further, as king, David was responsible to administer law and justice. And so there were some key differences between David's situation and ours, and we have to recognize that when we come to imprecations, when we come to curses that David pronounces where he's asking the Lord uh, to judge his enemies, as he does here, we have to understand he was in a different situation than, than we are. Verse 5. Let them be like chaff before the wind. You know, chaff is, is the, the, the husk uh, that surrounds the grain. And if you're going to use that grain, you have to first remove uh, the, the husk. You have to remove the chaff. So you would thresh the grain and you'd throw it up into the air and the wind would blow away the chaff. The chaff would disappear. You would never see it again. He says, let them, that, that is my, my enemies, uh, who are making these false accusations against me, who are seeking to take my life, who, who are, are plotting against me, let them be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery, with the angel of the Lord Pursuing them. The angel of the Lord had appeared to Joshua uh, before uh, Joshua led Israel in battle against Jericho. Uh, in Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, uh, we read that, that Joshua saw the angel of the Lord uh, with his sword drawn. And uh, Joshua asked, you know, are you f- uh, with us or with them? And uh, the angel of the Lord identified himself to Joshua as, quote, the commander of the army of the Lord. And as we read through the book of Joshua, as the Lord gives Israel victory over the evil Canaanites who were in the land, we are to understand that the angel of the Lord, whom Joshua saw in chapter 5, that the angel of the Lord was fighting Israel's battles for them. Indeed, we read in Joshua chapter 10, verse 14, the Lord fought for Israel. David probably had that in mind. How the angel of the Lord had fought for the nation of Israel, giving them victory over their enemies. And now he prays in verse 5, Let them, that's my enemies, be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery, with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. David is asking that the angel of the Lord would pursue his enemies who are also God's enemies. And because they are seeking to take David's life, they have made themselves enemies of God, being that David is the Lord's anointed. He is the, the king who is, is the mediatorial king through whom God will reign over his people. An attack against David is an attack against God. And David asked that the angel of the Lord would pursue those enemies. Verse 7, for without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. Now in this verse, David likens his enemies to hunters who are seeking to entrap and kill an animal, uh, who, who hide a net or camouflage a net so that an animal will, will be caught in that net. A hunter who, who digs a pit uh, and, and covers that so that an animal coming by will fall into the pit and be caught. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life as they seek to take my life. Notice those words in both lines, without cause. His enemies are doing this without cause. David has not wronged his enemies. His enemies have no case against him. He is innocent. In this matter. Verse 8. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it. And let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it to his destruction. David had spoken of his enemies in the plural. Now he speaks in the singular. Uh, Let destruction come upon him. Probably zeroing in on the leader of his enemies. The leader of this plot to take David's life. Let destruction come upon him. 
David is asking the Lord to administer justice. David is not seeking revenge. He's asking the Lord to administer justice. Now, this section may sound strange to us when we compare it to the New Testament's instructions to love our enemies and to do good to them. For example, in Luke 6, 27 and 28, Jesus said, But I say to those who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. But understand that the section that we're reading here in this psalm is is consistent with God's justice and reflects God's justice. God is just. It is right that God is just. What we're reading is consistent with God's justice. It reflects his justice. That's what David's asking for. He's asking for justice. Nothing more, nothing less. Asking for justice. It is right to ask the Lord to stop evildoers. Evil is an offense against God. God hates evil. It is right to ask the Lord to stop evildoers. And it is right to ask the Lord to see to it that justice is carried out against evildoers. God has instituted human government in order to carry out justice. He he instituted it in the book of Genesis. He said, if, if man murders another, then by man shall his blood be shed. God was creating human government. I mean, government is to protect human life by punishing murder. Got to give a whole civil law to the nation of Israel. And there were punishments in that law for those who broke the law. If you steal from your neighbor, there is a punishment. If you commit adultery, there is a punishment. Different Crimes that are prohibited in the scriptures and penalties are prescribed. We've seen in Romans chapter 13 that God has instituted human government. The rules that we have are, have been put in place by God and a purpose is to restrain evil through the punishment of evil. Right? It is Right, to ask the Lord to see to it that justice is carried out against evil doers. At the same time, as Christ's disciples, we are to have a forgiving spirit toward those who wrong us, and we are to pray for their good. And there is no inconsistency in all of this. We are to have a forgiving spirit. We are, we are to desire that those who wrong us would repent of that. That they would seek forgiveness. And we are to desire to, to give that forgiveness. We're to be ready to give that forgiveness. Eager to give that forgiveness. We are to, to pray for the good of our enemies. We are to pray that they would have their physical needs met. We're to pray for their, for their salvation. First and foremost, that's their greatest need. But that's not inconsistent with what we see here. We're praying that God would stop evildoers and that God would see to it that justice is done. It all fits together. Continue on in verse 9. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. David is saying, you know, when, when you, O Lord, answer my prayer and deliver me from my enemies, then my soul will rejoice in you, exulting in your salvation. David has confidence that the Lord will hear his prayer and answer his prayer. And and, and he's looking forward to rejoicing in the Lord's 
salvation. He's going to praise the Lord when he receives that answer to his prayer. Verse 10, all my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you? Delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him. Now that may may sound strange at the beginning of verse 10, all my bones shall say, what is this poetry? What does David mean? All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you? Well, all my bones is parallel with the term my soul in verse 9. Verse 9, my soul will rejoice in the Lord. Now verse 10, all my bones shall say, David is saying, with my whole being, I will say, O Lord, who is like you? A poetic way of saying, with my whole being, I will say this. O Lord, who is like you? You notice how he, he understands that God's great acts of deliverance reflect the greatness of God. Paul, that he is delivered from his enemies who are seeking to take his life. No, his thoughts are going to go to the greatness of God. All of great God's acts that he performs for his people reflect and speak of and show the greatness of his nature. And as God's people, when we give thanks to him, our mind is to go to what that says, what what his acts say about his greatness. Oh Lord, who is like you? No one is like you. You are incomparable. You are infinitely great. And what you have done for me is one more reflection of your infinite greatness. One more indication of it. One more manifestation of it. Notice what David, how David, what David expects the Lord to do for him is something that he recognizes the Lord has done and will do for many who are treated unjustly. This is in verse 10, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him. David sees himself in this category. Uh, he is poor and needy. There's nothing that he can do to deliver himself in this situation. He's casting himself upon the Lord. And when the Lord delivers him, it'll be an example of how the Lord delivers the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him. Now, the commentator, Dale Ralph Davis, gives a modern-day example of what we read here, that the Lord delivers the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him. He gives a modern-day example of this that I want to read to you. Dill Ralph Davis is an excellent commentator on Old Testament books. And uh, he has this commentary on Psalms 25-37. to And uh, listen to what he says. Does Yahweh still fight for his people? Yes. But it may not always be with shield and spear as David envisioned. Let me pass on an instance that came to me through Sudan Interior Mission Materials. In an African country, Hassan was complaining against his wife, Sonia, who planned to go to a Christian women's conference. Who will cook? Who will clean? He griped. Then the blows came down on her. Before dawn on the Monday morning, Sonia quietly left for the church conference. By mid-morning, Hassan was up. He stood on the front porch and yelled, Good riddance! See this? It is that woman's only key to my house, and she will never come in again. His neighbors saw Hassan fling the key into the river that flowed by their homes. He then stormed down the road to spend the week with his mistress. At the conference, others prayed with and for Sonia and her frightful marital situation. On Friday, Sonia returned Stopped at the market on the way home, she wanted to have a fine meal for Hassan when he returned from prayers at the mosque. She found the house locked up tight, so she began cleaning the fish outside. As she cut it open, she discovered something hard in its belly. It was a key. She hollered to her neighbor, This looks really familiar. Her neighbor's eyes grew wide. Sonia tried the lock. The key slid right in. 
True to form, Hassan was livid when he came home and found Sonia inside. He demanded to know how she had gotten in. She explained about the house key inside the fish. Hassan became quiet. Sunday morning, he asked to join her at church. After the service, he told the pastor, I want to serve the God of the Christians. He is the one who knows and has power to do what no one else can. It was an impossible piece of work, delivering the afflicted one from the one too strong for him. Yahweh fights for David, but also for an abused and beleaguered African wife. Sometimes he may fight with shield and spear, but he can also fight with fish and keys. An example of what we see here in verse 10. O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him? When we have been wronged, this psalm teaches us to take it to the Lord in prayer. And when the Lord acts on our behalf, the psalm teaches us to praise him. This is what the psalms are teaching us to do. They're teaching us, teaching us to go to the Lord in all sorts of situations. Here in the situation where someone has wronged us, we're to take it to the Lord in prayer. And when he acts on our behalf, we're to praise him. So that's the first section in our text. The second section is a lament for being repaid evil for good. A lament for being repaid evil for good. Look at verse 11. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. David is saying false witnesses are rising against him. And they're trying to get him to confess to crimes that he has not committed and knows nothing about. Verse 12. They repay me evil for good, my soul is bereft. That his soul is bereft means that his soul suffers loss as his enemies treat him this way. Verse 13, But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. This is some of the good that he did to those who have become his enemies. You know, back in verse 12, he said, they repay me evil for good. He's given an example of how he was good to them. When they were sick, he mourned with them. Just like we're told, mourn with those who mourn. He mourned with them and he prayed for them. He prayed that the Lord would heal them. He prayed for their well-being. Verse 15 But at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me. Wretches whom I did not know tore at me without ceasing. This happened when he stumbled. He talks about my stumbling. To refer to some calamity that, that he experienced. Some calamity that he suffered. Something that didn't go well for him. And when his enemies saw him face that calamity, and they saw things not go well for him, then they rejoiced. They rejoiced that things were not going well for him. They, they, they rejoiced that he, he, he stumbled. They gathered together against him when he stumbled. When he was, when he was weak. They betrayed David. David had done the right thing. He had prayed for them when they were sick. He had mourned with them when they were mourning. He had only done good to them. He did, he did the right thing. He pleased the Lord in, in, in how he related to them. And they had the appearance of being his, his friends. He treated them as friends. He treated them as family. But then they turned against him when he encountered calamity. And they made themselves into enemies. They betrayed him. And Paul, uh, David says, even men who did not know him joined the ranks of his enemies in their plot against him. Verse 16. Like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. That they gnash at David with their teeth 
means they express anger, hatred, and, and malice toward him. That can be expressed as they're grinding their teeth in anger and hatred and malice. Now, let me ask you, who else experienced the same sort of suffering expressed in this lament in verses 11 through 16? Who else suffered like this? Enoch. Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ. He suffered like this. Look back at these verses and think of how Jesus suffered these sorts of things. Verse 11. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed down on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. But at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me. Wretches whom I did not know tore at me without ceasing. Like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. Jesus certainly experienced that. He was betrayed by those to whom he had done good. All these individuals rose against him. Now, the end of verse 19 will be quoted by the Lord Jesus Christ. If you go down to verse 19, let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes, and let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause. Does that last part sound familiar? Who hate me without cause. I want you to see how Jesus quoted that. Turn over to John chapter 15. John 15, beginning at verse 24. John 15, 24, Jesus says, If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. A quotation from two different Psalms, including Psalm 35 that we're studying. Jesus recognized that he suffered the sorts of things that were spoken of in Psalm 35. And you can come back to Psalm 35. He suffered those things in order to redeem us. He suffered these things in order to pay the ransom. You know, apart from Christ, we are much more like David's enemies than we are like David. David said they do this without cause, but how many times when we've gotten in a conflict with people have we contributed to that conflict? Have, have, have we done wrong to the other individual? We're, we're not innocent. We are guilty outside of Christ. And Jesus suffered the sorts of things that are described here, but to, uh, of course, a greater extent in order to save us, the guilty. In order to give us eternal life. In order to bring us into right relationship with God. And Jesus Christ, who has experienced these sorts of things, is now our sympathetic high priest. And when we suffer these sorts of things, the Lord's given us this psalm to, to help us to go to the Lord, to bring these things to the Lord. And who do we go to as we follow the example of the psalm? We go to the Lord Jesus Christ. We go to the throne of grace, the throne of mercy, to find grace and mercy to help in time of need. We go to our Savior who has experienced the suffering that we experience and who can sympathize with us as we go through that suffering. Now, he did it without ever yielding to temptation. He continued to be innocent as he was so terribly mistreated. When we suffer as David suffered 
it's the occasion of temptation. We, we are tempted to lash out. We are tempted to respond in sinful anger. We, we, are, we are, are, are tempted to seek revenge. And yet we have a Redeemer. We have a Savior. We have a High Priest who knows what it is to suffer these things. And yet always resisted that temptation that we are facing. And right now, He is on the throne to help us in our time of need, that we might please Him as we go through our, our trial. Now, this section of, of, in this psalm anticipates that we as Christ's disciples will at times experience such suffering. The Christian life is not easy. We're not promised that because we are saved, that we're going to have an easy road to walk. There will be a variety of trials that we will go through, and some of those trials will be being treated sinfully by people that we have done nothing wrong to. The psalm anticipates that we will suffer these sorts of things. And this, this section teaches us, to, when we do so, to bring it before the Lord in prayer. That can be hard for us to do. We like to handle things on our own. Sometimes we don't want to take it to the Lord in prayer. That's what we need to do. We need to take it to the one who truly is able to help us in our time of difficulty. And this section of the psalm teaches us that our Heavenly Father cares about our suffering and He cares about justice. So the fact that we would have this in Scripture, this lament where the psalmist expresses these things to a, a, to a, a God who cares, it shows us that God cares about our suffering and He cares about justice. He is just. He loves justice. Verse 17. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. Now, notice how the psalmist refers to God. We we will see the psalmist in different psalms refer to God in different ways, using different titles for God. Here in verse 17, he uses the title Lord that's not in all capital letters. Lord in all capital letters is the personal name of God, Yahweh. Without all capital letters, it is the title Adonai, which means master, or means Lord, or means ruler. David here says, how long, O O Lord, O Adonai, master of The universe. He knows that he's praying to one who has authority over the universe and everything it contains. He's praying to the, to the sovereign ruler over all. Oh, how long, oh Lord, will you look on? You have the power to stop my enemies in their tracks. How long, oh Lord, will you look on? David knows that the God to whom he prays is is the master of the universe, yet he seems to David at this moment to be standing on the sidelines more like a spectator than the Savior whom David knows him to be. How long, O Lord, will you look on? How long until you answer my prayer? How long until you intervene and save me? How long till you deliver me? What we see here is that God does not act on our timetable, but he acts on his timetable. He is Lord. He is sovereign. He's able to act at any given moment on our behalf. And sometimes we have to wait upon the Lord. When we're waiting upon the Lord, we may cry out, How long, O Lord? Because it's not about our timetable, it's about his timetable. We are to persist in prayer. What we have a sense of here is that David has been praying this for a period of time. How long, O oh Lord? He's persisting in prayer, just like Jesus teaches us to do. 
in that parable about the widow who kept coming to the judge asking for justice against her adversary. Jesus tells us that parable so that we will persist in prayer, so that we will not give up in prayer. Assuring us that God will answer. We're taught here to persist in prayer. Verse 18. I will thank you in the great congregation, in the mighty throng, I will praise you. Meaning, when God saves me, when he delivers me, when he answers my prayer, I will thank him in the great congregation, I will praise him in the mighty throng. When God does save us, he is to be given great praise. Well, we will conclude this psalm in a future Bible study. But for now, this psalm helps put our suffering into perspective. David's enemies were seeking to take his life. Usually, when we as Christians suffer, it's not to the extreme of someone seeking to take our life. This helps put our suffering into perspective. And the Psalms teach us, no matter the size of our suffering, no matter if it's small, no matter if it's gigantic, to bring it before the Lord in prayer, with the mindset expressed in verse 10a, O Lord, who is like you? That's the one to whom we take our trials, we take our sufferings. Let me ask you, when when you are mistreated, how do you respond? May our first response be, bring it to the Lord in prayer. And may we entrust the matter completely to the Lord. That's what David does here. He entrusts this matter completely to the Lord. There's no sense that if the Lord doesn't act, then he's going to do things his way. He entrusts the matter completely to the Lord. Now, that does not mean that that we're to do nothing else after we bring it to the Lord in prayer. There's a place for confronting evildoers. There's a place for involving the governing authorities, law enforcement. But what's important is that no matter what the situation is, we entrust it completely to the Lord. We're not depending on anything else. While we are seeking to be faithful to the Lord and how we respond to the situation, we're not depending on our efforts for deliverance from the situation. Not just trusting in man for deliverance from the situation. We're trusting in the Lord. Because we've entrusted it completely to Him. Well, this may raise a lot of, of questions. Any questions or, or comments about what we have seen tonight? Jared. Um, it's just amazing how, how you highlighted the similarities between David and Christ. Yeah. Christ's ministry, you know, pray for his enemies, especially on the cross. Yeah. It also highlights the guys that is just, he doesn't forget um, uh, the sins of the evildoers and that for rejecting, blaspheming, and killing the only Son of God, Israel was severely judged yeah. 40 years ago. Whatever passage of scripture we are in, we see how does it connect to Christ? If there's nothing else, uh, then let, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this psalm. Uh, we thank you that you are just. We thank you that you do hate evil and that you delight in righteousness. Lord, we, we thank you that you have delivered us from our greatest um, enemy, and and that is our is your 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 judgment for our sin, uh, Lord. We were headed towards destruction uh, because of our sin, uh, but you have saved us from our sin, and uh, Lord, we 
I thank you that we can now trust in you as our Heavenly Father when we go through trials. Lord, teach us when we go through trial, no matter how small or how big, to take it to you in prayer. Lord, uh, use this song uh, to, to teach us how to do that. And uh, Lord, we, we pray that, that you would enable us to apply this um, in the ways that you would intend for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.